Welcome to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. During our Joy Fellowship Christmas Luncheon on December 12th, we were joined via video by our good friend, Dr. Kirk Neely, who shared some fun stories in honor of the holiday season. Now, he wants to share those stories with you. We hope it blesses you and your family this Christmas. Now, here he is, Dr. Kirk Neely. This is Kirk Neely. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning, uh, to be with the Joy Fellowship. Uh, for a number of years, I gave a Christmas story at this gathering, and I'm going to do that again today by the miracle of technology. And it is a mystery and a miracle to me. I'm speaking to you from Eden Terrace, where Claire and I now live. We are in an assisted living facility, which suits us just right. Uh, this is a wonderful place, and we love the people here just as much as we love people everywhere we've been. I want to tell you two stories, um, and the first one has to do with jolly old St. Nick. You know, St. Nicholas is a real person. He was a very early Christian bishop, uh, and as a bishop, he wore red robes and wore a red mitre, that's that little pointed hat on his head. Uh, he was not fat. He was very thin, in fact. Uh, even if you see uh, uh, his likeness rendered in any book about uh, the saints, you'll see that he's always depicted as a slender man. Uh, and he, there are many legends about him. Uh, one legend is that there was a poor man who had three daughters his daughters were not eligible for marriage because there was no dowry. And uh, they were grieving that. And uh, this man was grieving because he couldn't provide a dowry for his daughters. And one night, St. Nicholas came by this house where this man lived and he threw three bags of gold coins in the window. And one of the bags went into a stocking that was, uh, had been hung up to dry. I don't know whether there's any truth to this or not, but this is where we get the idea that St. Nicholas comes to fill stockings, not on December 24th, Christmas Eve. That came later, but on December 6th, which is Père Noel or Father Christmas or St. Nicholas Day. And still today, uh, across Europe, and in, in some places in the United States, people put shoes out under the tree and St. Nicholas or Père Noel is to come and uh, come by and he's to put uh, goodies in those shoes. Claire and I have even done that with our own children just to remind them that this is not a, a, a practice that's just uh, a part of Europe, but it can even happen here. The reason I mentioned this historical figure is because our view of Santa Claus originated with a very real person. He is known for his care for the poor and especially for his love of little children. <clears throat> St. Nicholas came to the United States and his, the Dutch settlers here called St. Nicholas Sinterklaas. 
And this is where we get our word Santa, our words Santa Claus. Uh, he still was a thin man, Father Christmas, until the Coca-Cola company started doing advertising. And they took the image of St. Nicholas from Clement Moore's poem, The Night Before Christmas. And in that poem, he's described as a jolly old elf who is plump, his belly shakes like a bowl full of jelly. He smokes a pipe and he's a cheerful, smiling, uh, plump fellow. The Coca-Cola company in their advertising had some artist draw this depiction of St. Nicholas or Santa Claus, and that's the one that sticks today. Uh, I want to tell you the story about something that happened in our family. I have always told my children that I was Santa Claus. And of course, they did not believe me. Uh, Dad, you can't be Santa Claus. You don't have any reindeer. Dad, you can't be Santa Claus. There's no way in the world you could get all around the globe in one night delivering toys to children. They never did say I couldn't be Santa Claus because I wasn't fat enough. That was not an issue, but the issue was they just reasoned that it would be impossible. Now, I told them I was Santa Claus and they never believed me until they got to a certain age. Uh, that age is about eight or nine. And as they, and a lot of it comes from the fact that their uh, friends at school told them that there wasn't a real Santa Claus. I go with the, the newspaper reporter who said, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And that's exactly what I told my children. Now, <clears throat> my son, Eric, when he was eight years old, decided that he was going to catch Santa Claus. He decided that he was going to stay up all night long. He was not going to go to sleep and that he was going to catch Santa Claus red-handed. And he said, Dad, I, I want to catch Santa Claus. I said, well, you got to be on your toes if you're going to catch him. And he said, well, I am. I'm going to catch Santa Claus this year. So early on New Year's Day, Six o'clock in the morning, Eric was standing beside my bed and he looked at me and he said, I'm going everywhere you go today. I'm not gonna let you out of my sight. And he did exactly that. Now, back then, we went to my sister's house for a, a brunch every Christmas Eve morning. Then we went to, down to mom and dad's house and that's where we had our family tree. We had a big Christmas dinner. And uh, then about four or five o'clock in the afternoon, we all separated and went back to our own homes. I'm the oldest of eight, so there were a lot of people there. Mom and Dad loved Christmas. They decorated their home and uh, enjoyed having all the grandchildren around on Christmas Eve. But Christmas Day was left to us to to either go to in-laws or whatever we needed to do. So we went, Eric stayed with me all day long, never let me out of his sight. And I do mean he went everywhere with me. Uh, he went to the bathroom with me. Uh, sometime in the middle of the afternoon, I said, Eric, I've got to go to the grocery store. He said, I'm going with you. And he gave up a pickup game of basketball with his cousins so he could 
follow me to the grocery store. We went in and got the things we needed and we left and he said, now, Dad, when are you gonna pick up the toys? I said, Eric, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, when am I gonna pick up the toys? He said, I know you're Santa Claus. He said, uh, I'm gonna stay with you. I said, okay. <clears throat> that night we got home. We had a devotion by the Christmas tree. Claire and the other children all went upstairs to go to bed and Eric and I stayed up. I stoked up the fire so it would be a nice blaze. And then uh, Eric said, I want to play Monopoly. Well, I hate Monopoly. I just never have enjoyed a, a game that can go three or four hours. But Eric wanted to play Monopoly, so I said, okay, let's play Monopoly. We got the board out, started the game, and it went on and on. And I tried my best to let Eric win, and he won. Even without my help, I think he would have won. But it lasted a long time, and about two o'clock in the morning, I said, Eric, I'm so tired. I'm gonna lie down and take a little nap. I, he said, I'm not gonna sleep. I'm gonna stay awake and watch you. I said, okay, if that's what you wanna do. So I got a pillow and a blanket and stretched out on the floor, and I went sound asleep. Then about six o'clock in the morning, Eric punched me. Dad, Dad, wake up. Wake up, Dad. I said, what is it, Eric? He said, you've been asleep. And he said, Santa Claus can't come until you, until you get up. And I said, are you sure? He said, I'm sure. He said, where are the toys, Dad? I said, I don't know what you're talking about, Eric. What do you mean? He said, well, I know that you're Santa Claus. My friends at school have told me that you're Santa Claus. And I said, well, Santa Claus doesn't like to be caught. Maybe he did something different this year. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, let's just look around. We went in the kitchen and we each got a glass of orange juice. And we started looking. And there was a trail of candy going out the front door. He said, who did that? I said, Eric, I don't know. Who put the candy on the floor? He said, I don't know. He said, I know it wasn't you because you were asleep. We came back in and we saw another trail of candy. This one led to the door to the basement. And we walked over to the basement door. I said, you think something down there? He said, well, a trail of candy goes down there. I said, let's go see. So he flipped on the light to go down the basement stairs and we walked down and there was everything. Santa Claus had come to the basement and the stockings were stuffed. The toys were all laid out. There was one note uh, laid there for, uh, especially for Eric. And the note said this, Dear Eric, I know you were trying to catch me this year, but you know Santa Claus is it doesn't like to be kept caught. Santa Claus is all about love and he wanted you to know that he loves you. I wanted you to know that I love you. He said, I want you one thing this Christmas. I want you to tell your brothers and sisters and your mom and dad the story of Jesus. And the note said, Eric, Jesus is the reason we celebrate Christmas. And it's because God loves us all very much, all people. I want you to celebrate Christmas 
I got a big puzzle here for you. I know you enjoy solving puzzles, but I want you also to know that, that Santa Claus and Jesus love you very much. Eric picked up the note and he read it. And he looked at all the toys in the basement. And he turned around and he said, Dad, how did you do that? Well, I never did really answer his question. But you know, if a father loves his children, and if a father loves playing the part of Santa Claus, as I do, then you can understand <clears throat> why a father like that might get up real early on the 23rd of December and put out toys in the basement and fill up stockings in the basement so that when uh, a child is standing by his bed early in the morning on the 24th, he really had only been in bed about 20 minutes. And that's why I was so tired. That's how Santa Claus almost got caught. You can read that story in my little book by that title, Santa Almost Got Caught. But as Santa Claus said in that note, he's not the reason we have Christmas. The reason we have Christmas is because Jesus was born. Now we don't know exactly when the birth of Jesus was. Scholars think that probably it was in the springtime. Nobody's really sure when the birth of Jesus occurred. But the Christian church designated December 25th as the day of Jesus' birth. And the reason the church did that was because there was already a celebration or at least an observance that came with the winter solstice. Now the church actually missed it by four days. The solstice is usually the 21st of December. <clears throat> And on that day, the sun is at its lowest point. There, uh, it's the shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. And the ancient Druids, the pagans, the Celts, were fearful that the sun was receding from the earth. And so they put a big log on the fire to keep the fire burning. It's called the Yule log. They did all kinds of things like bringing greenery into their homes, keeping candles lit or lamps lit to try to encourage the sun to return to the earth. Well, the church knew about that ancient observance. And they said, we're gonna celebrate the coming of the sun, S-O-N, not the coming of the sun, S-U-N, but the coming of the sun. And so they designated this time of year as the day for the birth of Christ. There are many ways that we celebrate this. Just think about the ways that, that this particular church celebrates the birth of Jesus. Cantatas, concerts, a Moravian love feast. Uh, I think on Sunday, I mean, I'm sorry, I think on Christmas Eve, this church will actually have four services celebrating the birth of Jesus. So this is a special time of year. Uh, and these, these celebrations are not about Santa Claus at all. They're about Jesus. When I was 12 years old, we were at Croft Baptist Church, uh, just down the road, Highway 56, down the road. 
and um, the the every year the pastor's wife, whose name was Frankie, Frankie Smith, Mrs. Smith, would would put on a Christmas pageant with all the children in the church, and every child could take a part. Now, there were some key parts, but all the boys got to be shepherds, and all the girls got to be angels. But there was a Joseph and a Mary. There were shepherds and there were wise men. And there was one angel, angel of the Lord. This particular year, my good friend, whose name was, was uh, Gordon, had always been Joseph. And Mary was a prettiest girl in the church. Her actual name was Judy, but she was a prettiest girl in the church. And Gordon had a, had a sweet place in his heart for her. He, and she, he really had a crush on Judy. And I could see why, but I was, I was afraid of girls. Uh, I hadn't yet re reached the point that I thought girls might be a good thing, even though I had four sisters. So on this particular Christmas, Gordon had the flu. And Frankie Smith called my mother and said, Kirk is going to have to be uh, to take the part of Joseph this year. Well, and Frankie knew that every year I'd been a shepherd and I always wore a bathrobe barefooted and the shepherds had to have crooks, staff, like, like shepherds did in Palestine. And so we, my dad tried several different methods of making those shepherd crooks. One year he made them out of cardboard and they were, it rained and the shepherd, uh, the, uh, shepherd crooks were floppy. Uh, there was so much humidity, that wouldn't do. The next year they tried coat hangers on the end of broomsticks and those things were lethal weapons. Finally, dad went to the lumber yard and cut out quarter inch plywood shepherd crooks. And those things worked well, but they, the uh, shepherds usually tried to have sword fights with them. You could hear the clacking and the cluttering when the shepherds were back in the vestibule before they got ready to come out. So, but I had always been a shepherd and my dad didn't have a bathrobe. Uh, I wore my mother's red quilted bathrobe when I was a shepherd. And so when Frankie called and said I'd have to be Joseph, she said, and Kirk can't wear that ratty old bathrobe he usually wears. Well, that was my mother's bathrobe. And she said, Frankie, that's the only bathrobe we got. And she said, well, I'll get him one. So she got the pastor's bathrobe. He was a big man. She put that bathrobe on me, I think it was made out of velour. And it was hot. And the sleeves were too long. She put rubber bands at the elbows to hold the sleeves up. The, the bathrobe was too long in length, and she took safety pins and pinned that up. She made it fit, but boy, it was hot. We practiced, everything went okay. On the night before we had the pageant, Gordon called me and he said, Kirk, I'm well now and I can play the part of Joseph. I said, no, Gordon, I've been practicing this, I got it. He said, Kirk, you know I'm sweet on her. I said, I know you are, and I'm not going to mess with that. But I am going to play the part of Joseph. 
Well, Gordon couldn't stand an empty spotlight, so he connived and eventually got a part as one of the wise men, uh, and that was fine. We got ready to do the pageant. Everybody came to the church early, and all of us who were in the play had our costumes on. I was wearing the preacher's bathrobe, and I was barefooted, and uh, they put a towel on my head and tied it with an old necktie. <clears throat> so it was a, an uncomfortable outfit for me. And Mary was there, and of course she looked beautiful. And uh, we, we had practiced and rehearsed, and so it was time for the pageant. We met back in the vestibule, and it was time for, the, uh, for Mary and Joseph to go down the aisle. We just about were ready. But Judy opened the door and looked in, and she said, y'all, there are people out there. I got to go to the bathroom, and she disappeared. She took uh, her time when she went to the bathroom. And on her way out, she handed me a doll, and the doll was baby Jesus. So I took the doll, and uh, I was holding the doll, and she disappeared. Well, our cue to come in was when the pianist started playing Old Little Town of Bethlehem. And when we heard that music, we're supposed to start walking down the aisle. Well, I'm standing there in the back of the vestibule. Mary's gone AWOL, she's missing. And I'm standing there holding baby Jesus, and she starts playing Old Little Town of Bethlehem. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine Joseph being a single parent taking Jesus down to the front without Mary. So I just waited, and she played all the way through a little town of Bethlehem, and still no Mary and Joseph coming down the aisle. So she started playing real loud, and just about that time Mary showed back up, and I handed her the baby. Well, this was almost too much excitement for me. Uh, it was hot, hot in the pastor's bathroom, and that towel on my head didn't help one bit. But a little town of Bethlehem was playing and it was time to go. So I was walking down the aisle of the church, barefooted, wearing a pastor's bathrobe, with that towel on my head. We got down the front and Mary laid the baby Jesus into the manger. We had rehearsed this thing and I just didn't realize that baby Jesus would cry when she put it down, but it was a, a Betsy Wetsy doll. And when you put those dolls down, they gave out an audible cry. And she put that baby in the manger and there was an audible cry. It sounded kind of like a, a scared cat, something like that. And I got tickled. I don't know whether you've ever been tickled when you weren't supposed to be, but I couldn't help myself. I had already been pretty much nervous, waiting to go down the aisle. I started laughing and trying to muffle my laugh. And uh, It's hard to muffle a laugh when you get tickled like that. I even tried to bite my arm. And when I did that, I made a terrible sound. Finally, it was time for the shepherds to come in. And so the, the pianist started playing all shepherds watch their flock by night. And the shepherds started in, they were clacking those, those uh, 
pile plywood staffs together. They came down the aisle and in fact took their place off on one side. And then after they got down there, it was time for the angels to come in, the angel chorus. And uh, when, they, when they made the wings for the angels, they had made them out of cardboard and wrapped them with gold foil. And they had this gold tinsel around the edge of those wings. Pretty nice angel wings. But one thing they had forgotten was that the wings could not be wider than the door through which the angels came. And every little angel tried to step through that door and their wings caught on the door jamb. They hit every one of them. And so there was a mother backstage that had to turn the angels sideways so they could come in. So these sideways angels came in and they made this angel chorus just up above where the shepherds were. And then the, uh, the angel of the Lord, whose name was Brenda, she thought she was hot stuff because she got to be the angel of the Lord. And in this Baptist church, she was up in the baptistry and she had a microphone on. She had one line and the one line was, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And she said that she had a spotlight right on her and uh, she wore braces. And when the, when that spotlight hit those braces, uh, you could understand why the shepherds might be afraid when they looked at all that glow coming out of her. She had put Vaseline on her, on her eyelids so they would sparkle. Uh, and this one line, which she said perfectly. So here we got the shepherds, the angels, the angel of the Lord, and Mary and Joseph standing there. And then it was time for the wise men. And the wise men were bringing gifts, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, these wise men had an old spice bottle. One of them had a cigar box wrapped in gold foil. And the one behind, the last wise man, was supposed to be Gordon. And he had taken the place of the guy who was gonna do that. And because uh, he, he'd swapped out, I don't know what he had to swap. But Gordon had forgotten his, his, his gift. It was supposed to be uh, a bottle of something called Zemo, or Witch Hazel, one of those ointments. And they, they was smelly. Uh, could have been incense, I guess. But Gordon had forgotten that. So here came the wise men down the aisle. We three kings of Orient are. They're coming down the aisle. And I think Gordon realized about the same time I did that he didn't have a gift for the baby Jesus. And I saw him hike up his bathrobe and reach into his blue jeans pocket. And so they got down to the front and the first wise man put that old spice bottle down. The second one put that gold foil cigar box down. And Gordon laid at the feet of baby Jesus, his Duncan Spinner yo-yo. It was quite a Christmas pageant. Of course, all the parents and grandparents loved it. We were glad to have it over. I was glad I didn't have to stand by Mary anymore. Standing there at the front of the church, standing next to the prettiest girl in the church, wearing the pastor's bathrobe, and having that towel on my head 
did a number on me. Back in those days, I had a flat top haircut. And some of, some of you guys probably had a flat top haircut at one time. And I used this uh, cream, it was not cream actually, it was a wax. It was called Butch Hair Wax. And you'd rub that stuff on your head and make your flat top stand up. I had that on my head. I was underneath that towel, that hot bathrobe, standing next to the prettiest girl in the church. And I could feel my butch hair wax melting. It was melting and sliding down my face. I don't know what I must have looked like when the spotlight hit me, but I imagine I was glowing pretty much. It was quite a Christmas pageant. You know, in Oberammergau, they do a Christmas pageant like this, I think every 10 years. They have paid professionals playing the parts. At the Crystal Cathedral, they used to have a Christmas pageant and they actually had zip lines so the angels could fly in on those zip lines. They had live animals. I don't care where you see the Christmas pageant acted out. Sometimes it's very elaborate. But if you want to know what it was really like that night in Bethlehem, probably there's no better way to understand it than to look at a Christmas pageant that kids put on. Barbara Robinson wrote a book about this called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. Think about that first Christmas. Mary and Joseph, Mary, a young woman, still a virgin, betrothed to an older man, Joseph, and who's gonna be the midwife to help deliver this child? Well, it has to be Joseph. And Joseph, like Prissy and Gone with the Wind, didn't know nothing about birthing no babies. He was a carpenter for crying out loud. A carpenter trying to help his young wife deliver a baby. The shepherds were in the field minding their own business when all heaven broke loose. The angel chorus was singing. And the angel of the Lord said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Look at this Christmas pageant at Croft, or the one that Barbara Robinson describes, or even the Peanuts special. There you see what the real Christmas pageant was like. The shepherds were the blue collar workers. The wise men, we don't know how many there were, we know they had three gifts, which it might have been five or six or more of those magi. They were not even Jews. They were probably worshipers in what was known as the Zoroastrian religion. They worshiped this cloud, the stars, and they had these big ziggurats, tall towers, where they could go and observe the skies. And their belief was that the sky was like a great mirror, and a mirror that reflected whatever was happening on earth. So when they saw this bright star, unusual, it was to them a sign that a new potentate had been born on earth, and they wanted to go and see this person. And they followed that star all the way to Bethlehem. 
and they brought their gifts. Aren't those strange gifts to bring to a newborn baby? Gold, well, that's the gift for a king. Frankincense, that's the gift for a priest. Myrrh, that's an embalming fluid. A gift for one who would die for the sins of this world. That Christmas pageant is what I think of every year when I read with my family the, the story in Luke 2. And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, scared to death. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all people. That's a real Christmas story. It's the one I hope you'll remember tonight, or remember this Christmas, especially with your children and grandchildren. Help them say that scripture. Read it together. Sing a Christmas carol, anyone you choose, and know that the reason we celebrate, the reason for Santa Claus, it's all about the birth of Jesus. Merry Christmas. Claire and our family join, join me in wishing you a blessed Christmas.